Welcome, Dad. Uh, welcome back, back. to you. the Father and Son Pastoral Podcast. Uh, this is already the sixth podcast in the Jesus Said That series, looking at every word Jesus said in the New Testament. Today's study is entitled Jesus's First Miracle, which is taken from John chapter 2, 1 through 12. And today's main question is, why? And it's a great question. Why did Jesus perform miracles? I have no idea. <laughs> we can we'll conclude today. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Let's close Just, in prayer. Okay. Uh, we'll open it up to questions. <laughs> um, as you know, it's a Thanksgiving weekend, and I'm I'm looking forward to that. So uh, this will be a good time before that. Absolutely. All the family gets together. But I think it fits together with this food, uh, this passage about food and wine. So uh, right. Perfect. So uh, these are the words uh, that Jesus spoke. Just a couple simple statements. Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Mm-hmm. Fill the water pots with water and draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. Or as it says, uh, or as you can also say, the toast master. The toast master. I, I kind of, I don't know. I, if I went to a wedding, I'd like to be the toast master. Exactly right. <laughs> Sounds good. Okay. So let's get right into today's text. Uh, John 2, 1 says, on the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. So this is the third day. This is three days after Jesus called Philip and Nathaniel to join him as disciples. We also know that Andrew, John, and Peter are with them. Um, we're not sure about James. Do you think James is with, with them at this time? It's, or? it's really just hard to say. Yeah. yeah, it's it's left open, so can't really comment on that. I yeah, wish I could. So I guess we know there's... Five disciples right. at this time, yeah, possibly James, but we possibly don't know. James, yeah. Okay, it's not like the chosen where they have everyone but Judas at this point. <laughs> uh, even though I like a lot of the chosen, but uh, there's only That's five right. at this time, That's right. and I think it's cool seeing the progression. Exactly, people are joining, people are coming, uh, lots going on. So uh, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. So just a quick recap for those who've been listening or haven't been listening. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to remember what Jesus had been doing. He had been baptized and went to the desert, and he was tempted. Mm-hmm. And after 40 days, he kept walking by John the baptizer, who was pointing to him, saying, Behold the Lamb. It was at this time that he called Andrew, John, and Peter to follow him. He then decides to go to the wedding in Cana of Galilee. And it was on this trip that he meets Philip and Nathaniel, greets them, calls them. And then three days later, he finally reaches his destination. And speaking of the destination, yeah. it's just it's just interesting. It's Cana of Galilee. And today they're not sure where Cana of Galilee was. There are two uh, spots they pick. One's four miles away from Nazareth. The other is eight. But it apparently wasn't a well-known spot. Uh, when you have Cana each time uh, here – uh, in John 2, then once in 446, and then over in chapter uh, 21, it's uh, qualified with of Galilee. Hmm. Interestingly, Jesus picks a remote location to reveal himself greater to his disciples and to the others there at the wedding. And it's just like the humility of Jesus, right? Born in Bethlehem, grown up in Nazareth, and now a location, I'm not even sure where it is today, Becomes the place of his first miracle. He doesn't go to Jerusalem or anything yeah, like that. Exactly. He doesn't go to Rome and make yep. a statement. Yep. Uh, it's So three days later, he reaches his destination and he gets to Cana. Now, 
as I was doing research on it, um, you've been to the Holy Land. I have not. Mm-hmm. And you know how, at least from what I observed, there's a lot of tourist traps yes. uh, there. Uh, and it was funny because one of the sites, <laughs> it has a place that you can renew your vows, get mm-hmm. married, and uh, they have the very spot where Jesus changed the water into wine, yes. which is pretty funny. But as we know, uh, there's the option of two destinations. But let's continue with uh, verse one ends with the mother of Jesus was there. I didn't really see this till I studied the passage that G- John in his gospel never names Mary. He always calls her the mother of Jesus, which I think is kind of interesting because yes. in the gospel, as you know, when Jesus is dying, he tells John to take his mom, Mary, mm-hmm. to be his mm-hmm. his mom. John never names himself. John never names Mary. Don't know the reasons, but it's just kind of an interesting observation. I grew up uh, Roman Catholic. And uh, my mom's side of the family was Greek Catholic. And I can still remember my grandfather, coal miner, uh, talking to the family one day saying, well, his belief was that Mary was really the power broker in the family. In Mm -hmm. other words, Mary is more significant than Jesus. Mm -hmm. And uh, how sad theologically. uh, But here, John doesn't even mention her by name. And I find that very intriguing, which doesn't... uh, bode well for the uh, Roman Catholic uh, teaching. Uh, Something interesting as well, she was there. It's a continuous action in past time. So one of two possibilities I see, uh, either she's a a friend of the family uh, because she's there early to help, uh, perhaps it's family, uh, and which would also show why both Jesus and his disciples were invited later on. So the the dynamic is kind of interesting as the story builds. So now Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding, so they did not crash this wedding. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) They were invited. Um, So obviously Jesus and his disciples, so did he know know who he was going to choose ahead of time and let them even know? Who knows? But I think it's fascinating that it's not only him, but his disciples were invited to the party. Now, uh, verse 3, and when they ran out of wine... The mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Wine was a common drink. As we know, it was a drink you would have at a celebration. Mm -hmm. It was a sign of prosperity. Much safer than drinking water. They didn't have the water purification systems that we have. Even when we were in Israel, they said, use bottled water. So that changed. (laughs) Not to be funny, but you see like Detroit and some of those places where the water comes out and and you sometimes wonder what. What would your life be like if you had to constantly drink that? Um, so they drank a wine, and <laughs> it always—it's very funny to me how people who, um, you know, I choose not to drink, but if you drink, that's that's your Christian liberty. That's your right. Yeah. You can. Yeah. And how so many uh, pastors and those who are anti-drinking try to say this was just watered down wine, yeah. you know, and they have these formulas that you know it was two thirds water, and it's like yeah. they were drinking wine. Um, as we know, drunkenness was condemned as a sin. So obviously they weren't, hopefully they weren't getting plastered there, but they, they were drinking wine. We both have the same uh, practice by conviction. No. We both don't drink. No. Uh, my joke was I, I've not caused a car accident <laughs> since I had my license and I haven't had a drink since I turned to legal age. <laughs> uh, so um, we both have chosen uh, to be abstinent. And But I've had people really get upset at me 
when I would say a statement such as, well, the Bible condemns drunkenness yeah. and not drinking. But even in First Timothy 3.8 to the deacon, it says that he should not be given too much wine. Uh, drunkenness is what is called the work of the uh, flesh in Galatians 5.21. Oh. Uh, so I, I think people shouldn't go beyond the teaching of oh, the definitely. scripture. But at the same time, we don't want to cause anybody to stumble by our practices. And then Paul would um, make the same argument in 1 Corinthians 8, and, and, and that's been our practice. But yeah, it's wine. Yeah. And, and I think people get confused sometimes with liberty. Um, obviously, you can drink it, but we choose to use our liberty not to, <laughs> out of love for someone else. So uh, some people are like, well, I got the liberty, so I'm going to go and do it. It's like that's yeah. that's that's the wrong motive. It's we have the liberty to do it, but it's you know how do I feel about those in my congregation who struggle with drinking, who um you know if they go and see their pastor knocking them down, it, they could fall back into it. So. Um, in the ministry, you really need to think about those types of things. Yeah, so. I, I know how many people over three decades I've counseled that have struggled with alcohol. Mm -hmm. And I've always envisioned them going to the local restaurant, trying to practice abstinence since mm -hmm. uh, for them, one drink is devastating. It could lead to back going to a former condition. And I just go, I'm not going to be the cause of your no. stumbling. And uh, that's that's been our practice. So just, yeah. I think that's good for people to understand with liberty. Absolutely. <laughs> how it works. You, you, do it out, you do it out of love. That's right, out of love. Um, not because I have the right. <laughs> yeah. So um, they go and they run out of wine. Hmm. Now, we've been to a lot of weddings, mm -hmm. sadly. Because <laughs> the guy, we always joke, me and my brothers, all the girls are always so excited for the weddings and Unless it's someone really close to you, it's like, yeah, we'll go. We'll go. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but can you, imagine, the family. <laughs> can you imagine going to a wedding? And this is the illustration I gave my youth group sure. when I taught. Imagine you go to a wedding that's supposed to have food. Okay. Um, you go through everything. You know, obviously their culture was different back then, but mm -hmm. just for the sake of illustration. And then they come out and say, hey, folks, thanks for coming. We ran out of food. Um, you all go back home, get food, and then come back later. <laughs> what would you think if you were to go to that w wedding? You would say, uh, this is the cheapest wedding I've ever been to. Exactly. You would say, these people are too stupid to even plan ahead, and they can't even figure out how to have a reception. And uh, it would bring disgrace. Mm -hmm. And probably when you would talk with your friends and family, you always say, remember that wedding we went to where those people <laughs> didn't even have the food? Um and, and we see in Jesus's day, it's even possible it could bring them legal trouble. Absolutely. So we don't know why they ran out, but they ran out of wine. It would bring disgrace mm. just very quickly with the cultural thing. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. In our culture, we tend to be very, in America at least, it's all about the individual. Mm -hmm. um, it's not as much the family unit. It's more, we kind of, for right or for wrong, we live our lives That's right. more as an individual, where when you look at this culture... Um, it's very much family, family mm -hmm. honor. You know, yeah. everything's about your family and everything's right. about your family's honor. So um, as Americans, we kind of have to step out of what our culture defines as sure. normal that, you know, if okay. my mom blows it, my dad blows it, my brother blows, whatever. It's, you know, it doesn't do too much to me to, you know, if mom or dad does something really bad over there, it just disgraces the whole family. The whole family. So yeah. here they are. They're standing on the brink of disgrace and... Mary went to Jesus for a solution. Mm -hmm. And uh, why do you think Mary went to Jesus? 
Yeah. He hadn't done any miracles yet. Why, why do you think she went to Jesus? Yeah, it's interesting. I was reading uh, John Calvin on this, and, and Calvin goes that she was seeking him to give exhortations. <laughs> In other words, bail the family out so it doesn't look so bad for them. Oh. Uh, so it was this interesting because the argument is, well, since he had done no miracles, as reported later in the account— um, that that's not what she was expecting. But you, you got to go back to the angels appearing to her and Joseph. <laughs> you don't forget that. <laughs> you don't. Uh, Anna, uh, the prophetess, giving the exhortation to them, Simeon. Simeon. Yeah. And then Jesus is gathering his disciples. I think there's an expectation. I think she has a sense that something is coming. And I think she really does have... Uh, a thought here that he might do something extraordinary because it's his time. And she was right. Yeah, and she was 100% <laughs> a lot of right. Times moms know, so uh, she That's comes right. to him. Yeah. And Jesus said to her, uh, Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Jesus' ministry had begun. So he asked his mom, What was the problem of wine? And what did that have to do with him? It's kind of like you're in the middle of, imagine me in the middle of ministry and someone comes up and says, we're out of refreshments. If you're the pastor, it's kind of like, well, I'm kind of focused on this over here. You know, what does that have to do with me? And uh, I believe the hour was speaking of Jesus's work of saving mankind yeah. by giving up his life on the cross. Sure. Um, we find that in John 13, 1, uh, before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. And then John 17, 1, Jesus spoke these things, looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son. Excellent text to pick to, to make the point. Uh, let me further unpack uh, what you've already done here um, excellently. Um, Jesus says, woman. And people go, oh, that's, that sounds kind of harsh. <laughs> now, number one, I like to point out, he doesn't say mother. I, I believe there's a change that is occurring at this point. He's officially beginning his ministry, and the relationship is different. So I find that he uses the same expression with the reference you gave earlier from John 19 when uh, Jesus on the cross turns to um, his mom and says, Mom, behold, this is your son. Uh, it's, it's a term of respect. But I want to read you the actual Greek words because it's an idiom here in, in verse 4 translated, What does your concern have to do with me? It's T-E-M-O-I. Kai soy. And um, when you track this back to the Old Testament, uh, it's used two different ways. The first way is that if one party has been treated unfairly, basically, why are you picking on me? Uh, Jephthah uses that expression in Judges um, to the Ammonites in verse 12. But then the second usage, I think, fits here much better it comes down to the ideas, um, you know, why are you trying to involve me in this um, affair incident and I have nothing to do with it? I think that better represents uh, how the expression is used. Uh, Elisha uses this to the king of Israel in Second Kings 13. Now, what gets more intriguing when you look at these words and you trace them through the New Testament uh, on two occasions, it's the demons who speak the expression to Jesus in Mark one twenty four and then in 5.7, showing the difference of the realms. In essence, the demons are saying, hey, Jesus, you're in a different realm than we are. Why are you coming to torment us now? I think it further shows not only that Jesus says uh, to his mother, 
now not calling her mother, but woman. There is a difference here. And I think Jesus is showing further uh, the separation between the two because now he is embarking on his ministry and there is a difference in realm, so to speak, that has taken place here. And even the context we'll see at the end that he separates from his family exactly. at the end of this passage. So, exactly. I mean, it all fits together. It all fits together. It's not just a philosophy. Exactly. You know, it makes sense. Yeah. So John 2, 5, his mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Um, Mary understood the goodness of her son. So she told her servants to obey. Are the servants there? And thankfully they listened. Um, it's kind of a picture almost of how we should re- react to Jesus's commands. And then John 2, 6. Now there were there six water pots of stone according mm-hmm. to the manner of purification of the Jews containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Um, I actually saw some pictures of mm-hmm. what these jars would look like yeah. from what they have dug up. And the Mishnah tells us that unlike clay jars, um, these stone jars could be used all the time. Mm-hmm. It's, it's always clean. Mm-hmm. So it's possible that you would take these giant jars and stick them outside. And the guest, when they would come to the feast, they could wash themselves in the water. Um, it's possible they washed the utensils in them or also for ceremonial cleaning of your hands. So, Which was a big thing yeah. with the Jews because that's how Jesus gets hammered by the religious hierarchy. Mark 7 is like, your disciples eat. With unwashed hands. It's not like they looked under their nails. It was the purification. It was the uh, the traditions that were being passed down at that point. So I, I believe that's 100% right, either for the washing of the hands and then also perhaps to take care of the implements. Yeah, yeah if it's. So uh, yeah. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. The servants followed Jesus's bizarre command and fill the water pots. You kind of wonder what they're thinking at this point. Yeah, and it's intriguing before uh, you move on here, just they were filled to the top. Yeah. So no one's just poured a little mixture of wine no. in there later on trying to dupe mm. the situation. Uh, it's clear uh, that they're fully filled. So therefore, there's no, um, you know, hocus pocus yeah. <laughs> going on, so to speak, or no uh, magic yeah, manipulation, tricks magic tricks. Yep. Yep. And he said to them, draw out some now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it um, from just research. The master of the banquet was not the host of the wedding. He was the hired toastmaster head yep. waiter. So he, this was his job. He would go there and he would make the toast. So probably an elegant type of person who spoke uh, very well. and. Uh, I, I love um, – this is when I can praise uh, Christian art. I love how the chosen handled when the servants saw that the water had changed into wine. Yeah. Because, um, you know, you read the text, you think about it, and sometimes you just picture here they are. They bring the water to the guy, and then he takes a sip, and they all think it's going to be water. Yeah. Where uh, I like how they show all the servants are cheering um, because they saw how it was changed exactly. to wine. It must have been just amazing. Yes. So – And they take it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it had come from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. Uh, I think it's so cool that the servants knew what was happening. The obedient servants did, yet the master of the feast did not. 
And uh, I have a note here written, uh, Jesus loves to reveal his Father's will to those who willingly serve and obey him. So I, I just think it's so cool how he, he even works through these servants. You know, they carry out his mission of bringing, very simple, but bringing the uh, wine to the master, and uh, they can rejoice in what happens here. There's a disclosure. Mm-hmm. I mean, to think that the the lowliest of servants are clued into exactly no. the details. Uh, later in John 15, Jesus basically says uh, to these ones with him and in others as well that have assembled of the 12, uh, to be uh, intimate with the Lord is to obey him and that he will disclose to them. In other words, there's uh, the idea that since Jesus has his servants who are obedient, they're the ones who are going to be in the know. Yeah. And and so this uh, beautifully depicts just how the Lord chooses the lowly and informs them. Yeah. So it's obedience, faith, and uh, that's who God likes to work through. Yes, he does. And he, being the master of the feast, said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior, you have kept the good wine until now. I just think that's a beautiful picture that Jesus can turn uh, the washing water <laughs> right. that you wash your hands yeah. into the best wine ever tasted. You know, I'm not I'm not a wine snob by any means. I've never even had wine. But, you know, you always see these people who pay, you see the articles, thousands and thousands of dollars for one of these real, uh, vintages or one of these bottles. And yet here's a guy who his job was probably having wine at weddings yeah. because he's the Toastmaster. And yet he says what was simply a few minutes ago, water is the best wine he had ever mm. tasted. Um, so it just shows you how when Jesus does something, he goes all the way. All the way. Yeah. <laughs> it just gives him crummy wine, you know, right. some grape juice. Um, and then verse 11, this is the beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee. And manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Mm-hmm. Um, this this verse really helps us understand two important questions. Uh, the first is why did Jesus perform this miracle, yeah. and what was the result of this miracle? So why did he do this miracle to manifest his glory, to reveal his identity as the Messiah, and what was the result of this miracle? His disciples believed in him. Jesus is very pers- uh, I, I feel like he always has a purpose for doing things. Absolutely. It's not just kind of, I'm just going to do this. I mean, the reason was to show his glory, to reveal he's the Messiah, and the result is the disciples believe in him. Beautiful wording here, uh, John, uh, as we talked about earlier, and you pointed out, who writes later than the synoptic uh, authors, mm-hmm. chooses the word signs. Like uh, and I think that's significant. And then the, th- the theme uh, given in chapter 20, and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Matthew, Mark, and Luke uh, traditionally used dunamis for a miracle, which shows an enabling power. But uh, John is showing the sign, and what do signs do? They point to something or to someone. Clearly, these signs are pointing to who Jesus Christ is, and that's why the entire gospel is given. So when you pick up on the word signs, it's significant because there will be major signs that 
are chosen oh. to be recorded for us in the inspired account here yeah. in John. Yeah. And I think that's an advantage of John being written at a later date. Yeah. Um, it's just, he obviously had the three gospels already written and obviously the Holy spirit is working through all four yeah. and isn't limited, but that he could even just use that term sign. Mm. Yeah. That's just kind of, it makes you think there, there's definitely a reason for that. That's right. So let's finish up this passage yeah. after this. He, Jesus, went down to Capernaum together with his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, and they stayed there only a few days. Now, we know Jesus is, Jesus had some brothers. Mm-hmm. We know of James and Judas. Yeah. James, an early leader in the church, wrote the book of James. Judas wrote the book of Jude. Okay. So we, they, his name we don't know if it was originally Jude or Judas, and they shortened it to Jude. Yeah. <laughs> we do not know, but uh, we know him as Jude. And he had sisters, which are not named in Scripture. Mm-hmm. So uh, so he stayed with them only a few days and then left them. It's. I think it's interesting that it looks like Jesus' disciples, we see, mm-hmm. they believed on him after this miracle. Yet his brothers, as we'll see later, did not believe in exactly. him. So there's a separation, as you said, with his mother being called woman. And now he's leaving his family um, and basically going with his disciples. So there's more of a brotherhood with his disciples than with his blood brothers and sisters who don't believe in him. Give some insight later on that a prophet is uh, without honor oh. where, you know, among his own family. Uh, and this is uh, a literal indication of that actually his family later on, they think he's mad, you yeah. know, so, yeah. uh, they try to pull him out of ministry uh, like that. And uh, Jesus wants us to truly be family. I mean, even the word brother in the New Testament means from the same womb yeah. spiritually through the blood of Christ we are. And it's such a beautiful thing, and it transcends even at times biological family because the truth is, and the sad truth is, some biological family will be here with us on earth, but maybe not in heaven. If they, you know, obviously, if they haven't believed on Christ, they won't be there. Uh, So that distinction is made, and it's a one worth noting. Yeah. So, and as you said later, they're going to come and they're going to try to take Jesus away, Um, and Mary's with them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, it just shows you, um, and that's when Jesus will say, "My mom, my mother, and brothers are those who are you know with me, who do mm-hmm. the will of God." Right. So, what can we learn from this passage? What can we take from the text and then apply it in our everyday life? Mm-hmm. I think first is Mary shared her friend's problem with Jesus. Yeah. Uh, Mary understood that she was powerless to help the bride and bridegroom, mm-hmm. so she went to Jesus for help with her friend's problem. She knew he was filled with compassion. And my question is, when issues arise in your friends' lives, are you like Mary who sought the help of Jesus to intercede for her friend? Mm. And then a question I need to ask myself, how often do I go to Jesus with my friend's problem? And a thought, how often do I pray for my friends? Mm. Do I pray for others with the same passion that I pray for myself when issues arise? So I just love that how Mary, she brings it to Jesus. She brings it to Jesus. And it's just, I mean. And it got fixed. It got fixed. (laughs) It got fixed. Exactly right. Yeah. So um, it's just, I just thought that was a really interesting parallel we can make with our lives. And second, uh, the servants obeyed Jesus's words. 
Um, even though Jesus's command to pour water in the stone jars seemed odd, the mm-hmm. servants obeyed his words. And the question, do you, have, do you have the same faith that the servants had? Do your actions prove that you have faith in God's word, even when it's beyond your understanding? So a question to ask yourself, do my actions reflect my faith in God's word and thoughts? Would your closest, would those closest to me consider me a man or a woman of faith due to my actions? Am I truly living out God's word by obeying him? So many of the Bible stories show how absurd the requests Mm -hmm. are that God makes of his people. Joshua, military general, and it's like, no, you're going to tackle the city by marching around it a total of 13 times. That's loony. No sense. Uh, <laughs> you have David running after the giant, you know, not with the bazooka. No. I mean, he's, he's got a, a it, it, it's just a rock <laughs> and uh, a faith in his God. And it's just, that's what faith is. It truly is as you give it so clearly taking God at his word and acting upon it, even if it makes no sense, it's obedience to his word that brings us into that intimate relationship with Christ that sustains and builds our faith and then others can see as well through us that we really do know the Lord. Ben, I think can be sad because people take God's word, which we have now, the Bible, and a lot of times they just pick and choose. You know, Imagine if the servants picked and chose what Jesus said. Right. Uh, you either do it all or you don't, and uh, they did it. So in closing, I want to challenge all those who are listening to, di- to today's podcast to write down the words of Jesus found in John 2, verses 4, 7, and 8. I do mm-hmm. this with the young adults. Mm-hmm. I think it's a healthy exercise writing down his words. Yes. Um, I also challenge everyone listening to focus on praying for the needs of others and to visibly walk by faith. How? By obeying God's word. So just to answer um, our opening question, which we kind of already answered, mm-hmm. why did Jesus perform miracles? It was to manifest his glory and to reveal his identity as the Messiah. And that's why so much of what the tomfoolery we see today, uh, people trying to do these crazy miracles and stuff, it's not to glorify God. It's either to line their own pocket or to bring their ministry glory, mm-hmm. where we see biblically it was always for God's glory, you know, and it was to point to Jesus as Messiah. I think that's why it's important for us as Christians to walk boldly, to truly say we believe this, what we're going to practice, all that we see commanded to us in Scripture. And and I do believe as people see our lives, there's an ability for God to work through us so people can see God in us. I think that's why we have such poor witness uh, in America today, because I think too many of us are afraid to get out of the boat. I think too many of us are afraid to just simply take God at his word and act upon it. But that's why we have the heroes of faith in chapter 11 of Hebrews, because they did the absurd. They took God at his word, and they turned the then world upside down. And I I, I pray that we will do just simply what Mary did. She just turned to the one that could meet every need. She cast her care upon him, and uh, the need was met. And and I know following God's word is not often glorious. You know, we look at the Davids, the Daniels, but a lot of times— it's these guys pouring, filling up water vats. Yeah. You know, a lot of times ministry, serving God is just doing something so simple that no one ever sees. Exactly. I mean, even in the Bible, we have no clue who these servants were. We never hear their names. 
but yet they had the honor of obeying God mm. and uh, um, doing his will. So um, that was our sixth podcast from the Father and Son Pastoral Podcast in our Jesus Said That series, looking at Jesus's first miracle from John 2, 1 through 12. Uh, have a happy Thanksgiving.